0: Today on From A to Ziggy, Amsterdam. Hello and welcome to From A to Ziggy, this is the podcast in which we are listening to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. And today we're talking about the song Amsterdam from uh, 1990. No, sorry, 1973. It's a B-side to the song Sorrow, and it shows up as a bonus track on some things. My name is Thomas. Hi, I'm Travis. And this is our first B-side. Is it? I think so. Oh, yeah. Well, wasn't Dulmajita b B-side? Well, it was an outtake, uh, so Maybe I don't think that This is our first true B-side. Yeah, I think this is our first B-side. Or was not "Was Was Alabama's
1: song a B-side on Space Oddity?
0: Alabama song was an A-side. It was a single. Huh. Uh, so yes, our first B-side. Our first B-side. First B-side. This is a, uh, a song by Jacques Brel. It's oh. a, it, yeah, go ahead. So, no, sorry, I just
1: signed. So this is why Alabama song was in my head. Was, it was a, a B-side of the Alabama song single in Germany
0: in 1982. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So it was, a instead of being a B-side to Sorrow, it was a B-side. No. Well, no, it was, it was oh,
1: no, both. So it was a B-side to Sorrow oh, in 73.
0: Yeah. And they reused it. And they reused it in 82. They double dipped on the B-side. Double dipped on the B-side. Just like in uh, in Jamaica, where you have the dubs. That's what dub stands for, right? It's double dip. You take the same song and put it on the other, other side. Is that where it comes from? I think so. You, you, you double the song. That makes me sad, because I <laughs> listen to some dub. I love I Dub. I don't think
1: I realized that.
0: I love Dub. Dub's great. I like Dub better than... I like the B-sides more than the A-sides.
1: Here's, here's, my, here's my story about Dub. Here's a tangent. Right out of the gate, listeners, we have a tangent. So I do enjoy Dub reggae quite a bit.
0: That's something we have in common.
1: And uh, when a good friend of mine, whom I had dated in high school, moved to Providence when I was living in Providence, um, we were hanging out and she had recently gotten into dubstep, which I was not aware of at that time. I had I, This was my first time learning about dubstep because I'm behind the times on everything always. But so she said something about liking dubstep, like, oh, I, I, do you listen to dubstep at all? And I thought she meant dub. And I was like, yeah, do you like dub? And so she was like, oh, we should go. So my friend is DJing this dubstep show. And I thought I was going to go hear some sweet dub reggae. And it turned out I was accidentally at a rave. So this is someone who... We became close friends again, and she, had late, she later came out of the closet. But this is before she came out of the closet, so I had to pretend I liked Dub, because I still kind of wanted to sleep with her. And I had to, like, keep this up for months. And then I still had to keep it up after she came out of the closet, because then I could be like, oh, I pretended to like Dubstep, because I wanted to sleep with you.
0: Um, does your friend now know the full story? Um, if she subscribes to this...
1: <laughs> if she listens to this show, she does... <laughs> Yeah, so back on topic, Amsterdam. <laughs> Amsterdam,
0: 1973. So this is, this is a song by Jacques Brel. The English translation is by a guy named Morty Schumann, sorry, no, Mort Schumann Morty Schumann, who translated a lot of Brel songs, and uh, a lot of these became part of the live musical show Jacques Brel is Alive and Well, Living in Paris, which was a show that Bowie saw in 1968 when it came to London. This translation of it, Schumann's translation of it, had previously been recorded by Scott Walker in 67 on his debut album. He does a very accordion and string heavy version of it, uh, which has has the same sort of build and crescendo, but with a much uh, richer arrangement.
1: Interesting thing about that. So I hadn't listened to that version. And I kept expecting it to break into that kind of thing. Like, it was building up. And I was expecting it to become this, like, sea shanty, like, accordions and stomp your feet and everything. And then instead of going in that direction... The it's, Bowie version. Yeah, the Bowie version. It just starts to sound like... it remind. So he transitions into this more, like, talk singing, kind of like in Always Crashing in the Same Car, where it almost sounds like if your teacher was reading you the most messed up Shell Silverstein poem ever. Like, it's that, like, he just reads it with that, like, Shell Silverstein cadence once he gets into the verses. That's what it reminds And actually, that was something that didn't even occur to me until I was walking here. listening to it in my in ba dum ba bum
0: ba bum ba bum ba dum ba bum ba bum ba bum is that is that the cadence? Yeah, I mean, it's just like it just like the way he reads it just reminded me
1: of my teachers when I was in elementary school reading Shell Silverstein, but like way freaking darker.
0: This is a Shell Silverstein poem from his uh his grown-up book. Yeah. His his book for just taller children, that's all. Just taller children. children. Yeah, it's a strange song. It's a really strange song. It's a moving song. He is by the end of it he is just Clutching his chest and just trying to rip out his heart. Yeah. Yeah it, it, yeah, it is dark and
1: weird. And there's a sailor who only eats fish heads and tails. And his teeth are rotting because he only eats fish heads and tails. Yeah, well... <laughs> Can't I, imagine that's healthy.
0: Yeah, all these really salty and unsavory... Yeah, he puts... You're, you're in a really dark, dank sailor bar. It's funny how many personality... Traits are also flavors. Yeah. Salty. Salty. Unsavory. Yeah. Fishy. At the end of the day, everything is just food. I like that song from uh, the Popeye movie. I kind of, I started to look at
1: this after a little while as sort of the cousin of, uh, I guess this would be the older cousin of African Night Flight, where it's more of just like, just different kinds of carousing. Different kinds of dark carousing with different sets of people.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of... These uh, seedy goings-on. There's a story that when... So Breil, Jacques Brell wrote this song in a house that overlooked the Mediterranean. And Sylvie Rivette, whom he lived with at the time, said that this house, this house in the Mediterranean, was a really good place for him to, to create and to write, to indulge his passion for boats and planes. This is a quote. One morning at 6 o'clock, he read the words of Amsterdam to Fernand, who was a restaurateur who was about to set off fishing for scorpion fish and conger eels for the Uh Overcome, Fernand broke out in sobs and cut open some sea urchins to help control his emotions. He's just like standing there sobbing openly at the end of the song, cutting <sighs> open sea urchins. I just, I just imagine this really cartoonish looking chef. Like, yeah! Like a chef from The Little Mermaid, or something. <laughs> Instead of like angry, he's just like sad. He just has to <laughs> cut things. Cut. That's uh, a fish. murder fished cry, or <laughs> the whole. Oh god, that's a horrible image. <laughs> but, but, so that's what that's the effect that this song has on. Yeah. It's, it's and it's got this amazing crescendo, and this uh, Chris O'Leary describes this crescendo as like, like an apocalypse. Um, it's Bowie trying out putting a, an apocalypse in the song. That's what this song does, is it just builds and builds and builds and doesn't relent, and then finally it's over, and that's it.
1: It's like a metaphor for the kind of living that's going on in this song. It really is just a lot of, it's just sailors who are just living very hard, and generally sailors who lived very hard had very sudden ends.
0: Yeah, or um, or on a smaller scale, like uh, say uh, it's, it's the kind of, kind of night you might have if you're like, drinking and drinking and drinking and things are getting, you know, more awesome and awesomer and uh, just black out. Yeah. That kind of, well, there's, there's all kinds of, like, metaphors you could draw. It's a gigantic crescendo and then a sudden collapse. That's what this does. And it, it's, like, the emotion is building up. The, the, the narrator is just, like, Yeah, he it really more is, like, shouting
1: at you by the, by upset.
0: the end. Upset. <sighs> yeah, he's, he's really emotionally upset about the things that, that are going on. And the, the behavior of the people, the immorality or amorality of the people. Like, don't they care about things? And then finally, like the last stanza is mostly about <laughs> prostitutes um, and how... <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing that I always have trouble with, these great songwriters from the 60s. Jacques Breaux and Serge Gainsbourg are, you know, as cool as they are, as... as Great as their music is, like they're just these really awful misogynists. Like they'll call out, uh, you know, they'll have these like sexy swinging lifestyles, and then they'll call out, uh, you know, some woman for being and call her a whore because he doesn't like their life. Yeah, it's just like really disgusting. Yeah. And so that's, and granted, he, he, the narrator in this song is talking about actual prostitutes. Yeah. And, because and that, and you can't talk was, about
1: Amsterdam in any era. Without talking about prostitutes
0: and apparently. yeah you've got sailors and it's it's a really seedy uh, environment so yeah it is it is kind of um, disturbing
1: but that's actually that reminds me of this is something that I, I find myself thinking about a lot like the the curse of enlightenment basically and, and it's something that I that's happened that I found a lot more over the last couple of years since I've been living up here and the, the people I tend to surround myself with it, it kind of plays into a lot of the things that super right-wing people and general assholes have to say about people where it's you know everything is offensive to someone and you're always wagging your finger about something but like i find myself listening to songs or watching comedy that i always loved and now i kind of like because i've become exposed more to different lifestyles and i become more enlightened I realize oh my god most of these people that I look up to and most of these things I like are really either misogynist or have little bits of accidental racism in them and just like things that like I really wish I could just scrub over And like this it makes me kind of jealous of people I know who are just willfully ignorant because you get to enjoy so much more culture if you're willfully ignorant yeah ignorance is bliss you don't realize it until you get older
0: right um but once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right? Yeah. Once you, once, it's like, yeah, you, you come to, the, to this side of uh, whatever temporal or generational divide, and suddenly you can't really, something, something just, you know, there's, a, there's a stink about, um, it's just this lingering stench um, about the way people thought about things yeah. back then. And it doesn't even take that long. So So he's talking about their virtue. They've bargained their virtue. Goodness is all gone. Oh, they're all used up because they chose to to be sex workers. And five or, you know, as
1: recently as like five or six years ago, I would probably have heard that and been like, yeah, but yeah. And and you kind of, you just learn, you get to know, like you learn that these are actually human beings and Yeah. So on Facebook, they have that, like, on this day feature where you can look at posts from previous years on that date. And I look at stuff from, like, when I used to be really active on Facebook. But, like, I was posting constantly. It was at a time where I was like, instead of just writing down jokes in a notebook, I'm just going to throw them out on Facebook and see how many likes they get and see if this stuff is actually funny to people. But then I look at it now, and I'm just like, you misogynist asshole. Like, <laughs> what are you thinking? And I'm just like, every day, I'm like, God, I'm, a whole, I'm so glad that other people can't go back and look at this. I look at it, and I'm, like, and I'm totally like... I totally was that person who was just like, I'm being so nice to this girl. Why isn't she sleeping with me? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, you were... I
1: was that guy. And I look back now and I just want to, like, get a time machine just slap the shit on myself. (laughs) Like, dude, that's not... It's not like Subway where you buy 10 subs and you get a free sub. Like, women are not sub club cards with the stamps. Like, every time I... You know, let you borrow my hat or whatever doesn't mean I'm like one step closer. <laughs> like, don't be a shithead, <laughs> listeners. I promise I'm not like that now.
0: <laughs> the first step is uh, recognizing, yeah. that you have or had it. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I left that in my twenties.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> no, I think we we'll all we all have gotten some value out of that.
1: Everyone's got a shameful past. Yeah,
0: we all have shameful pasts.
1: But yeah, the moral of the story is enlightenment's a good thing, but also a bad thing because it ruins great pop songs for you sometimes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, luckily, we can uh, cast all of that uh, misogyny from Scarecrow's oh, A Different Time. It was a different time. onto to Jacques Brel and not David Bowie because it's his, it's his song originally. And Mort Schumann, it's his English translation. So maybe not even Jacques Brel. Yeah, it's a much, much, much more bygone era. Although I read something really disappointing about Jacques Brel this morning, too, which was, and excuse my French, I don't use this word except to quote it, but he said he didn't want to give away his songs to fags when he heard that David Bowie was... Which if I was David Bowie,
1: that would just make me record the song twice as hard.
0: (laughs) Which he did, he recorded it several times, and he played it live from... From really early on, like he was playing this in '68, back before before Space Oddity even came out. Anyway, he would play that song, and he and he played. He kept it in his repertoire up through uh, Ziggy, the Ziggy concerts.
1: Yeah, and even released really, yeah, like released it even as a B-side in 1982. Yep, you yep. don't you don't want quote unquote bags putting out your music. I'm just going to keep putting it out and keep getting royalties off of that from so many different sources.
0: Right. Yeah, um, Jacques Brel. Right. It was, there was also, there was, there was a live version on the BBC, uh, even before the single came out, uh, which is okay. It's a little bit more, it's got kind of a a different pace to it. I think he perfected it. I read somewhere that it seemed like uh, as he recorded it more, played it more live, it seemed like he got less, less enamored by it and sort of performed it in a more rote, practiced way but I think he perfected it like by the time he recorded the studio version it's just it's perfect yeah. the the intonation and the the phrasing on on the lyrics is better than the Scott Walker version I think it's like you really it, he really magnifies the impact of the words like that from the very last verse this is the the line that always stands out for me is the very last set of lines he pisses like I cry on the unfaithful love. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's that's just powerful. That is melodramatic. That is just huge, and that's just before the the big crescendo and the, and the sudden stop. This is what makes me love this song. Uh, Jacques Brel had this huge had a huge influence on uh, Bowie's songwriting. We'll get to more of these uh, at some point but just as a teaser of things to come. There's a song called, uh, Jeff, that Rock and Roll Suicide lips a line from. Uh, it's, uh, Non-Jeff, Tipa pas tout seul. It's, uh, No-Jeff, You're Not Alone. And there's just a lot of a lot of the melodramatic cabaret songs that Billy does are, are very Jacques Brel and Chanson-influenced. Uh, but we'll get to more of those later, and we'll, we will talk about my death when we get to it. Oh, right! Uh, I want to talk about the very last lines in Port of Amsterdam because like I mentioned this is like a cry the whole thing is the the character that's singing is is just really emotionally heightened by this point and and then he's strumming hard on the guitar it's really loud and then he he sings in the Port of Amsterdam in the Port of Amsterdam and then strums the guitar and it stops yeah and that's it it's like this is a trick I think Jacques Brel does a few times. I am sorry I can't think of any right now, but it's this thing he does where he, he builds things up, he'll repeat a, a, a line like mimikita, mimikita so that it, it just and it and somehow it doesn't it doesn't do like the pop thing where it just becomes meaningless. It just loses all meaning from repetition. Because the way Jacques Brel sings is he really feels. Every syllable. Um, and the more he says it, the more you feel it too. Uh, and that's what's going on in, in this song. And then there's those very last lines just before the character gives up in desperation. And it, it heightens the focus of, of this song on the place. It's the port of Amsterdam where all these things are happening. The port of Amsterdam. And he just seems angry and or desperate and, and just, uh, it's, it's all due to the circumstances and what can you do. Yeah, it's a really effective song. Yeah. So, on that note, on that note, let's, how uh, do we feel? Let's, let's, uh, how do you feel after this song? I, I feel, oh man,
1: when, when I listen to it, I feel like the room is just spinning. It's, it's like Alabama saw where you're just feeling like that, like nauseous drunk. When you drink,
0: and you drink, and you drink,
1: and you drink, drink and more. you drink, and you drink some more, and you drink once again. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's an intense time. Um,
0: Yes, yeah, so let's uh, let's rate this some bitch. All right, I I vote on uh, whiskey voices. Whiskey voices, yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that turn of phrase. I've forgotten the tune of their whiskey voice croaks. There's so much. There's so many good lines. Yeah. My whiskey voice croaks uh, uh, four. Yeah,
1: I was gonna go a little bit lower initially when I was listening to it because it did take me a little while to like really get sucked in, but. Uh, I'll, I'll I would bump it up to a four because I do like that like really dark shell Silverstein feeling it gives me. I really like that. So I'm gonna go.
0: I'm gonna my whiskey
1: voice will croak four times.
0: All right. Uh, cool. Um, so at this point, so I guess. Yeah, that's that's I, gonna wrap it up for this week.
1: And I say to myself, "What's coming up on the next show?"
0: And I say to you, Travis, uh, there's. Uh, there's a song called And I Say to Myself coming up. Uh-huh. And I say to you listeners, come back and join us next week. This is this is gonna be some early bowie.
1: We're getting yeah, we're getting on our way back machine
0: on this one. Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna be able to find this. You can find <laughs> it on YouTube probably. Yeah, no, I know I did listen to it on YouTube. Okay. All, right. All right, come back and join us then. Uh, until then, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, we are from Friend80Ziggy. From FromAtoZiggy.com, can you comment, uh, what did you think of Amsterdam? Uh, send us an email, podcast at fromAdaziggy.com. Uh, I am Thomas. I am Travis. And thank you for listening.
1: Do you remember of it's a gatherspeed? It's such an ugly song. I've heard a rumor from ground control. Oh no, don't say it's true
0: message the action man. He was recording it with he was playing it live, rather, with his uh, folk trio, Feathers. Uh, him and Hermione blanking out on her last name, not Granger. Um Farthingale. Um obviously there's another member of that trio, <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> I'm shamefully forgetting the name.